day two of meeting gets back to you at the SVG in our podcast, of course, you have two different characters. The chief cricket writer for the Australian newspaper is in the extraordinary life. Who might be coming to Victoria? Think of all of us with us. And my uncle, my cousin, my brother in law, we must be related somewhere along the line. Former Australian cricketer, he's now a trustee here. Chief cricket writer of the Australian News, Lawler. Now, it's about Layla. So, how many people mispronounce your name? Well, you. Uh, yeah, me, but who else? Uh, yeah, quite a lot of people <laughs> mispronounce my name. But uh, it is Lawler. It's Lawler. I'll tell you, there are two reasons I know it's Lawler. Is that you're not old enough to remember this, but there was a politician called Barry Jones, federal politician, the smartest man in Australia. He was he was a picker box champion, champion, just a genius. He was the member for Lawler. Julia Gillard inherited his seat, and when Peter Lawler was a wanted man, the Victorian great great uncle Pete. They misspelt his name on the wanted poster. They spelt it L-A-W-L-E-R, which would have been a phonetic spelling. So he was going by the name Lawler, and so am I. Nice to meet you, yeah, well, Kieran. Nice to meet you many, 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 many yeah. They've been terribly disappointing, haven't they? I really pumped up the Kiwis' tyres on the way into this. I love the way they play cricket and have played cricket. They're great competitors. We've seen them in two World Cup finals, four years apart. Ranked number two in the world. Had just beaten England at home. They had you know, beat a, a wicketkeeper who made a double century. They had that... Santner, who made 100, believe it or not, and they got here, they just didn't show up. I'm sorry, you're right, a lot of things have gone against them. I mean, even if, you know, what have they got? Five blokes, well, they've got three blokes out with illness. They've got two broken fast bowlers. Now they've got three broken fast bowlers because Lockie Ferguson broke down, broke Trent Bolt, who who came in for him, he he broke down. Uh, And now this new bloke, he's broken as well, Henry. So... They've got a lot of issues going on, but beyond that, Toss went against them. They had to face the pink ball in the worst session of the day in Perth. But I'm only making excuses for them because they have not shown up. They have been a disappointment. Kane looks jaded. For a guy who is genuinely one of the best batsmen in the world, he's, he just hasn't... It looked like he hadn't arrived, and... and it, it's not just me saying that, is it? Like Brendan McCullum, who is the godfather of the new New Zealand cricket team, he he called him out in Melbourne. He he said he there's something about these blokes they've rolled over, and, and he went down to him. They're close friends, and so sort I of said, y- "You're not playing cricket the way we play cricket. You're not playing the cricket the way Kane Williamson should play cricket." Twenty thousand Kiwis came over for that Boxing Day test, and they made it a spectacular event, almost as spectacular as the Sydney test. <laughs> um, but yeah, disappointing, really disappointing.
So South Africa are reluctant to come in this period because they want to hold their own test series Yeah, well, to, to look on the bright side, the Kiwi fans have shown up. You know, these have been very well-attended test matches. I mean, more people attended the first day of the Sydney test than, in, I think, uh, attended the entire Sydney test against New Zealand 30 years ago. So one thing this has proven is that the Kiwis do pull a crowd. I think the crowd's been fantastic um, in Melbourne and Sydney. So that that's good. And I reckon that will at least say to the administrators, you can put them on the big stage in the middle of the summer. Uh, it's not going to be a disaster, but you're right. We're in trouble in world cricket. You just can't keep playing the same three people, which is England and India. India. Um, we have had South Africa who've who've provided great contests and been a really good competition for Australia at home, but they're falling off a cliff. Their, their cricket is in a terrible state. In the last three months, they've made a real mess of things, and I think everybody's got to cross their fingers that South Africa hold it together because Australia needs competition. You just can't keep playing the same teams over and over again. When Oh, test cricket is still the ultimate form. I, I don't think any of the other forms challenge it. How many one-day games would you have watched, do you reckon, in your life? Yeah. yeah. How many do you remember? No, no, because the great moments happen in Test cricket generally. There's a couple of exclusions to that in World Cups or, you know, the, the Michael Bevan innings out here. But the great moments happen across five days in series. Now, well, you talk about Steve Smith in the Ashes, and I've never seen anything better than his performances across that series, or more compelling. And as you say, to come in, his first Test back, to make the two centuries... So I say, I've arrived, to get hit in the neck, bounce back again, make another century, make the double hundred. But hey, what about Ben Stokes at Leeds, at Headingley? I don't, you know, only test cricket can provide things like that. And I'm not just talking about Ben Stokes getting them home with a bat. I'm not talking about him bowling those, what was it, 30 overs across, the, you know, across, to, uh, I mean, he, he, it was very Wagner-esque. You couldn't get the ball out of his hand. I mean, they gave it all. Joffre broke down after four balls, so they gave it back to Stokes. He, and, and, yeah, test cricket's the ultimate. Yeah, the big stage, the big performances, the things that stick in your brain happen in test cricket, in my mind. Yeah. Where did you grow up and where did you love cricket? Uh, I, I grew up in Bendigo, and I got the love for cricket from my dad, I guess. And just country kids, what else did you do? You played cricket. Um I fell in love with Dennis Lilly when I was a boy and I saw Dennis Lilly bowl, I reckon, you know, 70, 71, 72. I reckon it was around the time maybe the rest of the world visited a team that Bradman put together because we wouldn't play South Africa because of apartheid. So he put together a, a, a rest of the world team, including South Africans, blokes like Barry Richards played in that game. Yeah. 
Um, and I got to see some of that match at the MCG. But uh, Dennis Lilly was a rock star, you know. Um, the, the shirt open, the fast by. He was so quick then. That was before he broke down. And I wrote him a letter when I was a kid. And he wrote back. And uh, it was one of the most... It is, was... This is a tragic story, really. One of my most treasured possessions. He uh, said... Dear Peter, I'm only too happy to provide you with my, my autograph. Please keep up your interests in cricket as it has many rewards in life. And he wrote Dennis Lilly, then it got the big squirrely DK Lilly autograph. Flood. Got caught in a flood, that letter. It's all all washed out now. Yeah. I probably should have got a tattoo. Yeah. No, no. And uh, i got to tell you this story because, like, about five years ago, I was at a bloke's house in WA. I showed up early for a barbie, and the only other bloke that showed up early was Dennis Lilly. And there was a moment standing on the back porch where he went over to the esky and he said, can I get you another beer, Pete? And I thought, if that young bloke who wrote that letter knew that one day Dennis Lilly would say, could I get you a beer, Pete? I reckon he'd have cartwheeled through life to this moment. I, don't, I reckon everything else would have been irrelevant. I would have been heading for that. That was... The, that. Might have been the highlight of my life, I reckon. It's a lovely anecdote I can't distract you with tales of Dennis Lilly, can I? Um, yeah, okay, where, where did I start? Okay, all right, I'm going to go quick. Where did I go? Uh, well, I grew up in Bendigo. I played cricket for the Strathdale Maristians. Uh, I was encouraged by my father along with all those things. Unfortunately, I, I moved to Melbourne when I was 17 to attend university. Had to give up cricket after a year because I worked in a pub to pay my way through uni and to pay the rent. And best day, of course, shift work on the Saturday. So I always worked Saturday and worked Saturday for the rest of my life because unfortunately I ended up on Sunday newspapers. I got my start at the Sunday Observer, which was an independent newspaper there. Moved to the Sun News Pictorial. Moved to the Sunday age oh, I don't know who else I worked for down there but I burnt all those bridges unfortunately and had to move to Sydney a later in life and was working for the Telegraph for about 10 years as a feature colour writer joined the Australian as a feature colour writer and on the way down the stairs they said could you go and sit in sport for a while we're a little bit light on and could you go to India and cover the 2004 tour so I'd done a bit of cricket writing on the Telegraph but uh, India was a place I'd lived for two years as a hippie. So to get invited back there and to write about cricket, that was, that was a dream job. And, and that was the dream series. That was the series that Australia won. You know, and I haven't won one since. And they hadn't won one for a long time before that. It was Laurie's team that won one before that. So that was my introduction to full-time cricket writing. I thought, mm, I like this. It's not bad. Nagpur? Or Oranges and Weddings. The Orange and Wedding, yes, it was. It didn't have a very good reputation among the Australian cricket team, Nagpur. Uh, they used to stay at a hotel called the Pride, or they, they called it the Lacquer, Lacquer Pride. It's where the uh, waiter famously, somebody pointed out that there was a cockroach crawling across the table. The waiter picked it up and ate it and denied that there was a cockroach. Um, uh, Nagpur's quite nice now. I always enjoyed it. I think it was, a, yeah, that got cut, did it? Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. 
Oh, yeah, they saw you coming. Yeah. And there was yeah. a rodent in my room mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great fun. It's just such a vibrant place, isn't it? I, uh, the, I, I remember the first day I ever stepped foot in India and I just thought, I am in love with this country. I have a deep love for that country. And covering cricket there has always been so much fun because you're, like yourself, fortunate enough to cover it during the Sachin Tendulkar era. And then to see MS Dhoni come along. And now we've got Virat Kohli. I mean, uh, blessed with some incredible cricketers and some incredible leaders. And it was Virat, by the way, who told the crowd to be quiet and pay Steve Smith some respect during the World Cup. Really impressive gesture from well, an impressive bloke, actually. Not, not quite the bloke who first came to Australia and flipped the bird out here, wasn't it, I think? Nearly ejected from the ground. Yeah. Me, I, was, I opened the bowling, yes, yeah. I bowled slower than Colin de Grandholm, yeah. No, yeah. I opened the bowling for the C grades and uh, I used to play up in the morning. I think we played in the mornings and then I would play with the, that was like an under-19s team. I was the captain of that team and then I would play with the senior team in the afternoon. Inglorious debut. None, well, I think my first first day... The other side made none for 300. I bowled into the wind for about 25 overs. Uh, they say that the longest six ever hit in Bendigo cricket was hit that day off my bowling. Went over my head, over the, over the ropes, over the fence, over the road and into a house. It landed in the front lawn of a house. It was a big hit. But he was hitting with a breeze. And I was, ju- I was young. Yeah. Yeah. I got on the front page of the newspaper. pinch myself I, I, prior to 2004 I remember sitting in the press box the old press box here at the SCG and listening to Mike Coward and Peter Roebuck and Malcolm Conn you know these gr- greats of the uh, giants of the industry people I'd heard on the radio and Jim Maxwell was there you know and uh, I, I could have pinched myself I just closed my eyes and listened to the sounds of their voices I remember how exciting that was for me to, to be among giants of the industry like that and uh, how much I wanted to get on board. What yeah. about this ground? Eh? What about this ground? Goes all right, doesn't it? Yeah, I certainly like it a lot more than the MCG, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I think what I love about... Well, I know what I love about this ground now and I'm looking up at a monitor... It's just retained its character. It's very difficult to retain character in the modern era. You pull everything down, you make it more functional and working better and, you know, dare I 
criticise some of the modern stadiums, but they are soulless. They're donuts. You spin yourself round and you could be looking... You don't know if you're looking north, south, east, west. The only alignment you get is from the wickets or where the uh, goals are if there's a footy match on there. Um, this, The new stands that they've built here, they have some sympathy... Look, apart from the ones that they built in the middle eras... The, the, the stands that they've just built, what's that one called there, sorry? The one that I sit in every day, I can't see the name of. Yeah, the Bradman Noble. That's a brilliant stand and looks, looks fantastic from a distance. Because it gives you a sense of space and sky, you've got to retain some sky in a cricket ground. You can't build them in with those awful towering sort of uh, decks of seats. Uh, and the beautiful old, um, I, just, I just love the members. It's funny, isn't it? And a bolshy left-wing... Marrickville living person like me loves the members. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's just got something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's retained its sense of history, and, and you know, thanks to you know people associated with the ground, like like Rodney, Rodney Cavalier, who you know is a cricket historian, passionate man, lover of Victor Trumper. You might notice he got a name on the stand here. But, uh, yeah, there's something absolutely fantastic about this ground. And you know, my kids grew up in the outer because we were Swans fans. Well, had to adopt the Swans anyway, so we. We were out there for 15 years watching the Swans as the kids grew up. I, mean, I think I put my son and daughter here before they were three months old to watch for their first games of footy. Yeah, Victorians, you take your kid to to a game of Aussie Rules because that's got a like a christening. Oh yeah, yeah, it is here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was unfortunate. That's not something you expect to encounter as a sports reporter, really, is it? You know, but it's something I certainly encountered in my in earlier life as a journalist. I was at the Hoddle Street Massacre. I was one of the first journalists at the Bali Street bombing, uh, Bali, the Bali bombing, sorry. Um, but to be there when Philip was killed was, yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was... That was a really tough time, a really tough time, because I, you know, I I've been privileged enough to be there when Philip earned his right to play cricket in that bat off with um, Jakesy up at Phil Jakes up at Newcastle. They both they both played a shield game to see who would get a place in the team. I broke the story that Philip was picked for the South African tour. Yeah, I met his parents in South Africa in two thousand and nine. I remember how stunned we were when he was out fourth ball for his first innings. Um, 
And he was you know, everything that they tell you about Philip Hughes was absolutely true. Just the best kid you'd ever meet. Not a bad word for anyone. Didn't play sides. Everyone was his mate. Um, and to go through that was uh, it was a rotten experience. You know, I was had the misfortune to be there when um, Peter Roebuck died as well. So yeah, I sort of seen yeah both sides of cricket. But, uh, well, that's not both sides of cricket, is it? That's just life, really. And I think that was one of the things about Philip's death. I'll just say this, that the, the cricketers, they, they, they are young men, had never experienced anything like that, didn't know how you respond, how to behave. It, it, it was a real confrontation to them, but you know, a lot of people lived through those things. I mean, Mm. Things with smiles, walks with tragedy, like the Invincibles in 1948. They raised the English spirits beyond belief because they'd just been pummeled by the Second World War. They were still on rations. And they spoke about how people were leaving the ground when they got there because they couldn't get a seat. So it, it sits a very important part of culture, doesn't it? It does. And, and that's why I think that's why the, the Philip thing, Philip's death, was such. Such a shock to everybody because we don't expect that stuff to intrude on in sport, do we? Sport is our distraction from life. It's our sort of, I don't know, a simulacrum of, of uh, existence. But we, we don't expect to see those sorts of things there. We use, some people stupidly use warm metaphors and we're talking, you know, living and dying by the same. But we don't, it's not life and death, is it? It's sport. But uh, anyway, that's getting quite deep, really. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. That was a long time ago. No. Yeah, really? Oh no, no, no. But I. It's kind of a, it's kind of disrespectful of you not to know that I am actually the National Broadsheets beer editor. Yeah. So that is one of my titles. <laughs> you won't now, will you? Um, no. I've been writing about beer for the best part of about twenty years. I had a weekly column in the Daily Telegraph. And I used to have a monthly column in the Australian, but I kind of do it once a year now. I do uh, the top 20 beers. So, yeah, beer. It's just a distraction. Just one of those things I fell into. Eh? Well, when, I, when the Telegraph came to me and said, you're our beer correspondent, I drank v- I can say this now. I drank VB. I didn't know anything about beer. I mean, who did? I'd worked in a pub for 10 years and we just sold beer. We didn't even know the name of it. You walked in, you said, I'll have a beer. And there was a tap there that it came out of. So I had to learn very quickly. So I started making my own beer. It was great fun too. It's a really cool thing to do, you know. I'm, now I make my own pickles. If they ever need a pickle correspondent, I'm the guy. Pete's pickled... Uh, Pete's perfect pickled chilies is what my wife labelled them this this year all our family were uh, had to suffer through getting my my pickles for Christmas oh you like a pickled chilli <laughs> oh yeah 
Oh, Reuben sandwich with my pickles. Yeah, okay. My pickled celery is nice too, and my pickled cabbage. I pickle anything. If you leave something lying around the kitchen, I'm going to pickle it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's been an extraordinary relationship that you've had with this ground. Let's start, let's start with this big play here and a trustee here, of course, the boss of Pretty New South Wales and such a long time. What did the FCG mean to you? Oh, to me, it's the holy of holies. Uh, my father brought me here for the first time in 1970. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was uh, Roosters, who I'm a mad fan of. Sydney Rooster, or Eastern Suburbs, as they were called then, playing South Sydney. Came with my grandfather, who was a mad South Sydney fan. Had one eye red, one eye green with my dad. We're Roosters. I thought, you know, my dad and grandfather were going to have a dust-up by the end of the day. But we walked around the back of the, the old Sheridan stand as we went towards the hill. And I just remember the noise of the crowd as the ball was being passed. And the, as the ball was being passed along the back line, it just looked like a laser. The ball was just being passed... To me as a 10 year old kid so fast and I think it was Mark Harris's debut for the for the Roosters so literally from that day I was just hooked on the venue I thought I can't get enough of this I grew up at Epping uh, northwest Sydney you know uh, probably you know, 10, 12 miles from CBD. Uh, went to school in Eastwood, Morris Brothers Eastwood. Uh, just, yeah, I, I you know, love cricket, you know, from the time I could walk and talk. Cricket, cricket, cricket. You know, I love football as well. Played it at school, but never never good enough. Um, my brother, uh, sorry, my uncles were all club cricketers with the old Petersham Marrickville Cricket Club, which is nowadays known as Randwick Petersham. And so there was sort of cricket genes in the family and, you know, family family functions, Christmas time, there would always be a backyard game of cricket with the uncles and uh, I just think I sort of picked up the bug then. The school I went to was very deficient in sporting facilities, but what we did have was cricket nets. And so before school, during the breaks, after school, myself and about, you know, five or six other guys, we'd always be in the nets. I'd get the last bus home. Um, you know, my mum used to, you know, really... Uh, get upset with uh, the time I'd get home, you know, because there was study to do and God knows whatever else, but all I wanted to do was play cricket. So, yeah, just, as I say, there from very early age. Always an opening ball? No, actually, I was a batsman at school um, and uh, ended up captaining the f- my first 11 side at Morris Brothers and batted four. I opened the bowling, but uh, I went and played... My chemistry teacher at Morris Brothers Eastwood, a fellow called Graham Kitely, he got me involved with Epping Shires Cricket Club. He was one of the players there. He said, you should come and give afternoon cricket a try. So I was playing morning cricket with my school and afternoon cricket with Epping Shires. And all of a sudden, I'd go from batting top four in the morning to playing with adults in the afternoon. And they just said, you know, you're just a young kid. Next minute, I was batting 9, 10, 11. And my batting just fell away. Um, you know, it was, every now and again, I'd... I'd get a decent score, but never enough to to ever get myself back to the lofty uh, top four. But, you know, my bowling really kicked on, and that's, you know, where ultimately it worked out for me. Certainly did, playing at both state and 
Western suburbs cricket club though was where that early work was really done. And you had an amazing alma mater. You had a lot of guys in and around that team that were short of cricket and did a lot in the game. Well, I actually started with a club, not the current Sydney Cricket Club, which is the old Balmain Cricket Club, but I first started with a, a, a a previous sort of version of the Sydney Cricket Club, which was based at Rushcutters Bay. And uh, when I was at the Shires at Epping, as I mentioned, there was a chap on the committee at Epping who was also on the committee at, at, this, at this then Sydney club. And he said, you should give grade cricket a try. So I went down there about 19, uh, down at Rushcutters Bay, Reg Bartley Oval. Uh, Rick McCosker had played there. Um, uh, Russell McCool, who was the son of Colin McCool, who was a, a tourist in the 1948 um, Ashes team and I went down for a net session and uh, you know I was one of the last ones to get a bat I hardly got a bowl I got in the car went home I thought that's it no great cricket's not for me and uh, I let it go I thought I'll continue playing shires and this guy just persisted a fellow called Frank Clark he said no no they, they, they like what they saw they want you to come back and uh, I got graded with Sydney so I had three or four years with them finished in first grade um, had two consecutive seasons of 50 wickets and um, Sydney, were, they were a battling side, you know, we were getting belted most weeks and um, not going anywhere fast and then out of the blue I got a letter from the then state captain Dirk Wellham from Western Suburbs saying um, you should come and play for my club and I thought well if the state captain's writing to me um, I should listen to this and I went to Western Suburbs so that's how it all happened and the next minute there's Greg Matthews, there's uh, Greg Dyer, there's Brad McNamara, you know, Dirk Wellham. It was, at one stage, we had a, a, a first 11, which I think all 11 players had either played state or second 11. It was that strong. That's right. So I, I got chosen for the New South Wales team uh, first time in 1983 uh, against um, Pakistan that were touring. And... Uh, uh, a bit of a naughty story here. I, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd skip practice. I was meant to be at state practice and I had some mates going off on a Pacific cruise um, and I went off and saw them off down at Circular Quay. I rang in and said, I'm, I'm sick, I've got the flu and would much rather go down and see my mates off at Circular Quay. And uh, in those days, of course, no mobile phones, no nothing. So, you know, I've, I've got home probably about eight, nine o'clock. I've, I've had, you know, probably too many beers. My mother came flying out the front door, could you know barely sort of contain herself, saying, uh, "He's going to ring one more time, and if you're not home or you don't answer it, he's, you're you're not going to." I'm saying, "Mum, what's what's it all about?" And it was the chairman of selectors, Dick Guy, ringing to say that uh, I think Jeff Lawson had been ruled out with injury, and they picked me for New South Wales, which was starting the next day, and of course he been told I had the flu my mum knew nothing about it but in classic mum fashion she knew exactly to sort of cover for me because she thought what's he up to and um, anyway Dick rings um, I hear you have the flu no I'm okay actually yeah no I've just been down to the doctor and he said well (laughs) yeah um, (laughs) Um, and I was playing the next day so I barely slept I was as nervous as hell I reckon I was the first guy to the ground. You know, you walk into the dressing room here at the SCG, just where all the legends have have been and uh, the great stories that those four walls can tell you. And, you know, I've walked in and, I, you know, of course, I don't know the protocol for the dressing room, so I've put my case down where I thought was appropriate and went out, did a few laps of the ground and 
by the time I'd come back in, the other players had started to arrive. And as I walked through the dressing room door, John Dyson was coming out. And he sort of dipped his shoulder and sort of hit my shoulder and almost sort of knocked me off my balance a bit. And I thought, did he deliberately do that? Or, you know, it was just a sort of accidental bump. And I didn't think much of it. Walked back in the dressing room and my case is gone. And I'm thinking, where's it gone? And I look up at the back of the dressing room. In those days, there used to be a single toilet cubicle. And there was my case shoved down the toilet bowl. And what had happened is I'd put my case in John Dyson's spot. So he said, that's where your case is going. So nowadays, you know, we've become very good mates. And, you know, I'd probably talk to Dyson two, three times a week. But I've never let him forget what he did to me on my debut game. Yeah. Well, uh, I was I was lucky. Um, we we won the double in eighty four, eighty five. Won the shield. Won the one day competition. Uh, we beat the West Indies in a tour match, which was the first time they'd been beaten by a non Test team for about you know best part of ten years. I mean, they they were unstoppable in those days. But the SCG in those days was a massive turner. Um, you know, it was just basically rolled dirt, and we had a very good spin attack. You know, Greg Matthews, Murray Bennett, uh, Bob Holland. And, uh, you know, we, we were a very formidable team. And uh, I think when your team's winning and, you know, I'd, I'd chip in with wickets here and there. And uh, I got a hat-trick here in a Shield match uh, a month before that Shield final. And uh, we win the competition. And then all of a sudden there's an Ashes team being picked for England uh, in 85. And then that's when the story broke about Rebel Tours to South Africa. So you had all of a sudden 16 of Australia's best cricketers going to South Africa. Terry Alderman had been picked in the Ashes team. I, I think Carl Rackerman, uh, Rod McCurdy, uh, I think John Maguire. Anyway, one by one, they just kept saying, can't go. I'm going to South Africa. I'm going to South Africa. I'm going to South Africa. So it was a case of like almost a Stephen Bradbury. You know, all these guys were falling over in front of me. And then I got the phone call saying, uh, well, the first question I got uh, the, the ACB, as it was called then, uh, Australian Cricket Board CEO, Graham Helvish, rang me up. And he said, his first question was, have you signed for South Africa? And I said, no. And he said, well, you're in the Ashes team. It leaves in three days' time. Uh, can you make it? And I said, I'll be there. <laughs> so next minute we were f- flown down to Melbourne uh, before the team left. I'm meeting some guys for the first time in my life. Um, and then that was a really interesting situation because... There was, a, as you can imagine, there was so much uh, bad blood and disharmony in Australian cricket. Alan Border was the captain of that team. He wasn't happy about what had happened with the, the Rebel Tour because a few guys who had signed up uh, ended up... I mean, we'll never know the true story, but it, it seems like PBL, which was then the Channel 9 marketing arm for cricket, um, deals were done and three players pulled out of the Rebel Tour to rejoin the Ashes team. And Border was very unhappy about that because he felt it was a case of players having their cake and eating it. So I go to Melbourne and, you know, this should be, you know, like dream time. You know, Ashes Tour of England doesn't get any better. And uh, Exactly. And then all of a sudden uh, we're having this kangaroo court where one by one these guys are being brought in facing the team and told to explain their circumstances as to 
what made you pull out of the Rebel Tour to come back into this Ashes team, what are you getting? Um, to a man, they all said uh, a job with PBL, and uh, that was, you know, what changed changed it for them. Um, and it all finished with a vote taken as to whether the tour should go ahead with these players in the in the team, and the vote was no. And so Alan Border left that meeting to go down to meet with the Cricket Australia heavies to say that and he was back about half an hour later saying the tour goes ahead as scheduled so what happened in that half hour we'll never know it was I mean we went over there uh, we got beaten 3-1 um, but it wasn't 3-1 it, it was closer than that. well it, it was 1-1 after uh, four tests and then we got uh, the fifth test at Edgbaston uh, yeah we you could the wheels were falling off I mean the nuts were loose. The wheels were sort of starting to uh, starting to wobble, and then by the fifth test, they came off, and we got heavily beaten at Edgbaston, and then heavily beaten in the last test. Got beat three one, and dubbed as the worst Australian team ever to go to English shores. But look, just so much went into it. I mean, it was it was such an unhappy tour, uh, and it shouldn't have been. I mean, it should be stuff of dreams, but it wasn't like that. Unbelievable. I mean, that, that, I think that was probably the start of the renaissance of Australian cricket. Uh, Bob Simpson had just come on board as the coach. And uh, we, to go to India, which we know is a, a very tough place to play cricket, and to actually draw a series over there. We had three tests, two, two draws and a tie. Uh, was a great effort because that was a strong Indian team then, a very strong Indian team. You know, their top six, you know, Gavaskar, Srinath, uh, Amanath, Azaruddin, Vansaka, Shastri. You know, that, that, that's up there with probably the best, you know, I know India in recent times, Tendulkar and Dravid and co, but that, that still stands, stands up to some of the best batting lineups India's had. And then you had Kapil Dev and, you know, very good spin attack. So to actually come home from India having drawn the series with everything that was going on, you just felt... Australian cricket's actually on the way back. And, and from that tour, the likes of Steve Waugh, David Boone, you, you could, you know, Bruce Reed was there. You know, they, they ended up being sort of the, the guys that sort of, you know, carried it forward. And then in 87, unfortunately, I wasn't a part of it, but Australia won the World Cup against all the odds in, um, in the subcontinent. What about that decision? If I go back to the It was. Um, yeah, first and. Yeah, well, there's only ever been two ties in, in Test cricket history, as you say. The first one was 60-61, and of course this one. Um, Jonesy, look, you know, he has his uh, he has his critics. But that was one of the most heroic innings you'll ever see. Bob Simpson, who was a part of the Tide Test in 60-61 and the coach of this team, uh, you know, he came out and said the gutsiest innings he's ever seen. And Simo wasn't big for plaudits, so you'd have to say it was right up there. Mind you, Jonesy's dined out on it ever since. 
But yeah, uh, we can bring them up. So going into the last day, we had a lead of 350, and we still had wickets in hand. I think we were six out. And Alan Border was adamant, we are batting on. And Bob Simpson just worked on him and worked on him and worked on him. He said, no, we have to declare. He said, we've got enough runs. We need as much time as possible to win this test. And to be fair to Border, um, he listened to Simo, who had obviously a lot more experience. I mean... Alan, at that stage of his captaincy, he was still a very reluctant captain. He was growing into it. He'd be the first to admit that. And great credit to him. He listened to Simpson, and we did declare. So, mind you, by the time we got to tea, I'd imagine he was ready to strangle Simpson because India were two for 180 and on course to win. Uh, And then it all happened in the last session. In fact, the last hour, last hour's play, you know, in those days it used to be I think the last hour was 20 overs or something, you know, all these archaic rules. Those 20 overs took two hours, 20 minutes. It just went... Oh, yeah, terribly. It just went on and on and on. At one stage, the umpires actually threatened... If you ever see the grainy old footage from that game, the umpires actually threatened to send Alan Border off the field because they thought he was deliberately slowing play down because it was obviously getting darker and they thought he was trying to sort of play for a draw because India were going to win. But it wasn't that at all. I mean, India, you know, they're the biggest procrastinators in the world. There were drinks coming out. It was, you know, umpteen thousand sort of uh, discussions between overs, fellas coming out nonstop. And it just came down to Greg Matthews bowling to Maninda Singh. Uh, he went back on his wicket. Uh, Greg, who was always the most vociferous of appealers, before he could even turn round to see what the umpire's decision was, the finger was up like a bullet. And... Uh, and that was it. So, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've uh, tied the game. Afterwards, Alan Border, who was at bat pad on the offside, um, he actually collected the ball that had come off Meninda's pad. And he gave it to Greg Matthews afterwards because you know, Greg took 10 wickets in that match. But he said, oh, here's the ball. Oh, but it wasn't out. He, uh, he edged it onto his pad. So, <laughs> I mean, we'll never know. Years later, I spoke to Ravi Shastri who played in that game. And he said the umpire gave it out purely and simply because he wanted to be a part of history and he thought you know tied test I'll always be remembered <laughs> I'll always be remembered for giving a bloke out that you know gave the tide Dotty Walla was his name uh, I can't remember his first name he died only a couple of years ago but he a bit like Jonesy dined out on ever since oh in the Barossa yeah that's right yeah and Look, I mean, I, I, I'm eternally grateful to what I've got from cricket. Um, it, as I say, it was a, a passion from the time I could walk or talk. The fact I'm still involved today, I'm a, I'm a match referee for Cricket Australia. I do a lot of women's big bash games uh, and second 11 games, and I've been appointed to a Shield match next month at, at Bankstown Oval, which I'm really excited about, New South Wales versus South Australia. Just to be involved in the game, Tim, I mean, it's, you know, how lucky am I? And then to get elected as a trustee here five years ago, uh, was was a great honour. I mean, the fact that uh, I'm only one of two member elected trustees. Uh, there's only myself and Phil War. The rest are all government appointed. So that's a huge honour that the members have 
have entrusted Phil and I to to represent them, and I'm very very mindful of that. And you know, I would like to think that at every opportunity, I I I'd certainly push you know uh, I push the members' rights and benefits at every opportunity. Well, the fact that we've been able to retain the Members' Pavilion and the Ladies' Stand, they will always be a reminder of what this ground, you know, was once upon a time. It's always going to be there. It's a constant reminder. You walk into that Members' long bar in the dressing rooms, it, 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 you can hear the, the echoes and the sounds of, uh, you know, the bygone era. I mean, you see those old calico signs of Bradman that used to be on the the old scoreboard that was on top of the hill and Alan Davidson and, you know, um, there's a, in, the, in the home dressing room, there's some signatures on the wall. Uh, when New South Wales won the Shield about 30 years ago, the guys sort of put the Sheffield Shield up against the wall, traced around the Shield and then all signed it. Um, and the Trust have put a Perspex sign over that and kept it there. So it's never been painted over and that will be there, you would hope, forever so you know who knows in a hundred years time there'll be people coming in and saying you know wow I mean there's the signatures of the players from that time um, you know Victor Trumper uh, Stan McCabe Don Bradman Bill O'Reilly uh, before that uh, you know sort of the demon Spoffer you know all these these legendary names of Australian cricket that have played here never mind all the other sports I mean I'm a mad Roosters fan as I mentioned the fact that the Sydney Roosters are now calling the SCG their home ground. I think they won 10 out of 11 last season en route to the Premiership. Long may it continue. <laughs> well, that's what made me start supporting them. I was five years of age and I, was so, I felt so sorry for them. I thought, they're my team. That's, that's what it was. Oh, haven't they? What? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, the crowd yesterday, 36,000. I think we were up there again today, and I think tomorrow the pre-sales are even better. So, I mean, it, it, fortunately, the calendar's worked out perf perfectly. You know, Friday starts, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, it's great. I mean, it's sad that we haven't had New Zealand here for 34 years. I played in the last time New Zealand were here, th uh, and we actually beat New Zealand. That was when Hadley got 33 wickets in three tests. But why we haven't had New Zealand here more often is, I think... Uh, you know, a bit of an embarrassment to Australian cricket. I know their summer, uh, you know, is the same as ours, but that should have been better, better managed. But, um, I, you know, it's sad that the Kiwis have not been able to put forward their best team for this game. And uh, I can only see this match finishing one way, which is uh, a big win to Australia, which apparently would be the first time we've ever whitewashed them. So uh, Richard Hadley was saying yesterday at the members' breakfast that uh, there'll be major... Uh, ramifications in New Zealand cricket if that happens. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it.